Hey everybody, this is episode three of Artist Soapbox. I'm going to turn this thing off because okay. it will go okay. Hello and welcome to Artist Soapbox, a podcast featuring artists from the Triangle region of North Carolina talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am Tamara Kassane. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Raleigh-based John Jimerson. John has a wide range of experience, including theater producer, actor, teacher, paralegal, and dad, and most recently as reader, adapter, and champion of children's books. Today, we're going to talk about John's Velveteen Rabbit Project, a new adaptation of the classic book with modern text, magical illustrations, and a contemporary feel. We'll also touch on his website and YouTube channel called Seriously Read a Book, where you'll see videos of John reading children's books, such as Junie B. Jones and the Mushy Gushy Valentine, Death is Stupid, and This Book is Out of Control. Hi, John. Hi, Tamara. So I watched some of the videos of you reading yep. on your Seriously Read a Book website, and you were super downright adorable. And I also played you reading A Bad Case of the Stripes by David Shannon for my nine-year-old daughter, and she said, I really like this, with like an exclamation point at the end of the sentence. And then she slapped my hand away when I tried to pause it. So you have nice. a resounding <laughs> thumbs up from Yay. one more elementary school child. That's awesome. Yeah, it was really fun. Now, you and I are both parents. Yep. And it's one thing to read to your kid at bedtime, which is sort of a parental duty. Um, but it's another to be motivated enough to pull together a website, launch a YouTube channel, and develop a new adaptation of The Velveteen Rabbit. Sure. So how did you get to this point? What about this is so exciting to you? Right. So, um, so, so the story that occurs to me to tell about this is um, I was helping, I was being a teacher assistant um, in my daughter's Sunday school classroom. And the, the teacher handed me a book about the Buddha's life to read to the kids. And um, she was like, yeah, just read it. Just read it. I'll be right back. <laughs> okay. And so I started reading to the kids. And she came back, and she quickly wanted to transition us into another activity. And the kids rebelled. And then um, she tried again, and the kids rebelled again. And so she let me finish the book. And she approached me after the class, and she was like, look, I don't know, I don't know what you just did or how this, how you just did that, but whatever you did, um, I think you need to do more of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if that means um, reading random books online to kids or what, but I think maybe you should try that. And so that's what I did. It was at the urging of one of my daughter's teachers. And um, once I started doing it, I really loved it. And it fit into my life really well. And, before we started taping, I know you and I were talking about um, being parents and being artists, and um, I have a history as a as an actor uh, and a performer, and um, and so I'm I'm blessed to have uh, more time with my daughter than I used to have, and so that has created um, a certain structure for my life, mm -hmm. and uh, this kind of work fits really nicely into that. Um, I've also enjoyed, a, a, there's a surprising community mm. that starts to grow up around, um, I think around things that people view as important. And the people who seem to view my doing this as important are 
seven-year-olds with access to YouTube. <laughs> <who> make, <laughs> and there are many make, of them. There yes. are, who make comments. There's a, um, and sometimes the comments aren't nice. Like sometimes like uh, people will say things like, you're ugly. And, and, but then I have these other kids for whom, you know, I think I'm the only person who reads them stories. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I started realizing uh, I am, I'm the father figure mm -hmm. who reads, mm -hmm. who passes along stories to these kids. And all of a sudden, like the, the energy with which I read the stories or like, if Rose is on, my daughter's name Rose, if she's on the other side of the camera, we're creating a space in which I'm passing along stories to my daughter with the kind of, I think probably with the kind of um, attitude that only fathers can have with their children. Mm -hmm. And I'm inviting other people into that space. Mm -hmm. And I have a feeling that cultivating a love of reading is, it's very possible if you're building a space like that and inviting people into it. Mm -hmm. And you know, as I as I as I have um, walked along <laughs> this path, I've had friends say, "Hey, I'm a literacy advocate too." I'm like, "Oh, I'm a literacy advocate." Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's what I am. I'm a literacy advocate. And then I started looking into like the statistics on literacy. It's like, wow, if you if you're not really able to read by the time you're in fourth grade. The predictive capacity of that, it's really, it's amazing. It's its like jail time becomes really, really possible. Mm -hmm. Like uh, unplanned pregnancy becomes um, highly, highly likely. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I'm, uh, I'm trying to cultivate joy around stories and pass them on. And um, I'm having, I'm having little kids stick up for me when other little kids are trolling. <laughs> <laughs> little trolls. Yeah. Well, I love yeah. the I love this work that you're doing because yeah. I think that it's as you mentioned, it's so important to inspire children with storytelling and connecting, and it's actually not that hard to do. I mean, no. you in your your example of reading at Rose's Sunday school, <laughs> I mean, you read kids a book and they're hanging on your word, totally. every word, if totally. you are engaged. Totally. And that love, I think, sets up future patrons for <laughs> the arts mm -hmm. and also future readers. So it's this beautiful, it's setting up just all of these wonderful connections in the mm. little kids' brains. And <laughs> I know that when my daughter started reading, reading to herself and reading to us, it opened up this huge world of possibility to her. Mm -hmm. It's like you could mm -hmm. see her little brain and her worldview just expanding at mm -hmm. this exponential rate. And so I appreciate, mm -hmm. I appreciate your literacy advocacy. I think that's, sure. that's wonderful. Sure. Um, but I wanna talk about the Velveteen Rabbit oh, yeah. project specifically. So for folks who don't know, the Velveteen Rabbit, or How Toys Became Real, is a children's book written by Marjorie Williams, and it chronicles the story of a stuffed rabbit and his desire to become real through the love of his owner. The book was first published in 1922 and has been republished many times since. So you have this YouTube channel where mm -hmm. you read stories. You could have taken the Velveteen Rabbit and broken it into, I don't know, 20 different episodes and just mm -hmm. read that to kids. Mm -hmm. Why did you choose to adapt it into an entirely different book instead? Well, so the Velveteen Rabbit, I, I think the first uh, the first time I read it, I, I'm, 
I'm, I was just overwhelmed with the skin horse's speech. So the skin horse has this amazing uh, speech about what it means to be real. And so, and, and my view of this speech is that it's like, it's like the spiritual home of, of the book. It's about, you know, how do you become who you are? And, and the answer he gives is, it's hard and it takes time and you're typically kind of worn out by the time mm -hmm. you get there because life is hard. So, so working on the Velveteen Rabbit started when I was brainstorming about doing audiobooks. So, so part of part of my love of performing has like gone towards uh, being a voiceover actor, mm -hmm. and so I've played around with um, working for ad agencies and this and that recently in the area. And um, and I decided, wow, I really would love to tell stories. How can I create my own content that I can own that I can then perform and then sell and have that be something that I not only love but that generates income for me mm. and so that I can continue creating stories, performing stories and have it be sort of an income generating machine that allows me to continue creating and performing stories. Mm -hmm. And so The Velveteen Rabbit was sort of my first, it was my first, it is my first foray into that. And so I started looking at the story and I read it to some kids just to get a sense of what's it like, wh how do kids enjoy it, and kids, they don't, <laughs> they don't like it. It's, I think it's um, sad, it uses a lot of language that feels outdated, and, um, and it's really verbally, it's dense in a way that uh, I, I think kids aren't used to and honestly don't have the patience for. Mm -hmm. And so, I thought, well, this is an opportunity. I can, I can, so what I've done is I've gone through and I've rewritten it with probably my own narrative voice. And I've tried to make it so that uh, there are literally questions in the text about like, what do you think about this? Are you ready for this? This is, okay, we're about to enter a new thing here. Okay, you ready? Here we go. So the text itself is speak, has direct address to the reader. Um, which I think is engaging mm -hmm. to modern kids. And they enjoy it when, for instance, their parents would read it to them and it, it gives them a chance to connect with the person who's reading to them too. Yes, I noticed that when, when my daughter and I were watching you read yeah. and you were asking questions to the camera about the book sure. and she was answering you. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing, yes, it totally worked. And the first time you did it and she answered, I looked at her like, you, that's a computer, but she she felt that relationship, and yeah. and that's a great tool for parents who are reading a book out loud yeah. to sort of prompt them, additionally to engage their children. Like it's okay mm. to go outside of the text on the page sometimes, you know, oh, sure. and and add your own little parental spin on that. And I love the way that you're supporting that. Mm. Um, you're supporting the out loud reading of mm -hmm. a story and the interaction between. Um, the grown-up reading and the child listening. Yeah, I think that the, the out loud uh, reading too, it's informing, it's informing the adaptation itself. Um, I thought that I was finished adapting it, but I think I'm not. As I, uh, uh, Rose and I were uh, talking about reading it to some people at Poland Park, just sort of showing up at the park and reading the story. Pop just, up. Just pop up reading to kids for free. Here's the story, kids, and see how it goes. And with that in mind, I went back to the text and I thought, nope, the text is too long. Mm. Kids are going to get bored. So even with my current adaptation, 
with the filter of, I want this to be performable, I'm going to have to cut out about half of the text again, <laughs> which is really um, wonderful because I think that there's this interplay between my performing of, of stories and my creating or recreating of classic stories with wonderful meaning for kids. I really want to um, make available these, these classic stories in a, in a form for little kids where they're engaging and where the kids can really grapple with the ideas in them. I love the story that you included on your Kickstarter page about mm. a parent reading the original version of The Velveteen Rabbit to her child. And you wrote, yeah. one mother told me that her son stopped listening, wandered around the room, then started playing with his toys while singing. And at the same time, she was sitting on the bed, reading the story aloud and crying to herself. Kids are bored and parents cry, that's the Velveteen Rabbit. And that was exactly my experience when I tried to read our copy of Velveteen Rabbit to my daughter. Mm. Um, I was weeping, she was trying to get me to stop <laughs> reading. It was, it was not our best evening together. And there were only a few kind of boring illustrations, so those couldn't hold her interest. Oh, sure. So you mentioned some of the ways that you're trying to sort of up the interest level to kids, but sure. I want to talk about the illustrations and mm. other ways that you're mm -hmm. kind of bringing this classic into 2017. Sure. So there are lots of things that happen within the book that are active. You know, like my memory of it, and actually the, the illustrations are all like the Velveteen Rabbit's leaning against something, <laughs> or he's, he's sad underneath a tree, <laughs> you know? It's like, no! Like the boy like takes him and throws him into the air. Mm. How about like an illustration of the joy of flying, mm. just for a moment? How about, how about, um, the, there's this moment when um, he gets left outside by mistake, and, and the, um, and the, uh, his, the boy's nana, comes looking for the rabbit and is grumbling about it. And um, I try to throw in some stuff for the parents too. Like, like I make her grumble about, um, why didn't I go to law school? <laughs> and, 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 and also um, sort of, the, I, I wanna somehow show, show the action of her very quickly, like, like rushing across a lawn. Whereas in the original, it's, it's, just, it's just a sad rabbit in the darkness against a tree, hmm. which I think it, it just pounds you on the head. Sad story, sad story, sad story. When there are so many uplifting things within it that can be focused on. And, and I think that modern kids need to like, uh, help them be willing to visit the depths just for a second and then pop up to something that's thrilling. Right. And then if you wanna visit the depths, okay, we just had a wonderful thrill, okay back down we go, and then back up. Mm -hmm. um, so I try to, I, I try to play up the parts that are um, thrilling and full of joy. And there's this thing in the story that I don't like, hmm. and I have taken it out as much as possible. And the thing that I don't like is that not only does a sad thing happen to the Velveteen Rabbit, but then the Velveteen Rabbit is alone. Mm. And then a sad thing happens, and he's alone. And I think that the repeated pattern of that, we have enough isolation in our culture. Kids are alone a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's good to be, to cultivate like being okay being by yourself, but a feeling of loneliness and lonesomeness. I, I feel like I, I want to create stories that are companions for kids. Mm. 
and um, and so I've taken that out. I've, I've, I've left the sadness, but I want the book to help walk them through the sad time so that they can get to the end, which is a total transformation. That's what I want. I love that. <laughs> now I'm going to cry reading your book. <laughs> Yeah. So it seems like there's still going to be some crying involved for the parents. <laughs> well, there will be. Yeah, of course. It's, of course. It's about, it's about transforming and becoming and becoming and the power of love to do that. And it's beautiful. And I think, I think you know, passing that kind of story along, is it, it's, it makes me happy to do it. Well, yes, it does. And the Velveteen Rabbit asks these really deep questions. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, another one of them is how do you become most fully you mm -hmm. and that's something that we want to teach our mm -hmm. kids how to do mm -hmm. and help them be okay with living into themselves mm -hmm. fully mm -hmm. and i think that's also why the book makes adults cry because we yearn mm -hmm. for that mm -hmm. and we're still trying to get there yeah. and we don't pay attention to that until we read this book and realize oh wow there's this you know i'm not i'm not there yet so right. i know you've done a lot of deep thinking about this book <laughs> and i would like yeah. you to tell me please yeah. Yeah. How do you become real? How do you become real? <laughs> Are you there yet? And how do we do this? <laughs> Share your wisdom. Right. Not that you're personally interested. No, exactly. Um, Not for me. That's right. For the people it's listening. For, for the listeners. Right. Um, yeah, I think that it it is a story that's very close to stories like The Prodigal Son. You know, like there, I think that part of the human experience is that we feel sometimes like we don't belong, or that we feel lost, and that we don't know what to do next. And like, what am I supposed to be doing with my life? And um, I can tell you, one of the things that I've started doing with Rose is she's handed all of these, all of these things like, okay, you are a third grader. You are a good student. You are now a piano player. You are a member of band. And I have just started trying to plant the seed. And you are more than that. Hmm. You are all these things and you're more than that. Because at some point she'll be able to hold on to, oh yeah, I've been told I'm more than this, this thing that I've created that I call Rose Jemerson. Then these labels. Yeah, that, somehow, yeah. I, in the back of my mind, I know that I'm more than, I've been told that I'm more than that. So maybe I am, I wonder what that more than that is. And then there's this space that's created around her. That's my hope. Mm -hmm. For me personally, um, what does being authentic mean? My view of the human experience is that I'm kind of this glob of about a hundred different personalities. <laughs> and like, I'm, you know, like there's that Walt Whitman quote about, um, I, I am multitude, I think. Mm -hmm. um, that's my experience of just life. And I try to listen to all the voices. And mm. you and I were talking before we started recording mm -hmm. this idea of Kind of the, we were using the metaphor, the dragon. The okay. dragon inside sure. of us wants sure. to fly free, and oh, if yeah, it doesn't yeah. fly free, then we all suffer, and yeah, yet yeah. the dragon is inside of a cage. So mm. how, do we, how do we do this as artist parents? How do we um, breathe, take our deepest breaths when we feel these boundaries around us? How, John, how? <laughs> how, to, how to do it. How to do it. Well, today I'm taking a uh, half a day off from work. Okay. Um, I mean, that's, the, that's it, it's an ongoing question. I think that, I think that every time that, that my custody schedule with Rose changes, 
and that Rose moves into a new developmental stage, like different things are asked, uh, both of me as far as like, how do I show up? Mm -hmm. Like both time-wise and my actual presence and how important is it to me to be a parent who's present and present? Mm -hmm. Like how, how important is that? And I have to tell you, my brother and I, we grew up with a dad who, he loved us. He didn't know what the heck he was doing and he didn't know how to really be present. And so he wasn't. And I think a real, um, a, a wonderful thing that came out of that for both my brother and me is that we prioritize being present for our kids because we know what not present feels like. Mm -hmm. So it has become the primary structure through which I decide what my availability for artistic projects is. Mm -hmm. Like, do I have weeknights? Do I have weekends? Okay, I have weekends, but I only have from the mornings until one o'clock on Saturday. And I can fit stuff in then. Mm -hmm. And so I have had to create, I've had to create big boundaries around my time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I push it and I push myself into the orange zone, like as like green, yellow, <laughs> orange, <laughs> red, and I've agreed to do a play coming up this spring, and to tell you the truth, I'm a little scared. Like I don't know, I don't know what like how how I'm going to juggle it with um, being a good dad. What play are you doing? Um, I'm doing the Changeling with <gasps> a little green pig theatrical concern. Yes. Yeah. So I'm um, playing a guy who falls in love with a lady and then um, finds out that she's been with another dude and. Um, What's he do after that? Not some nice things. <laughs> it's hard to say no to that kind of an opportunity. <laughs> so uh. I, I think that uh, something that is interesting uh, about this to me, and then we'll get back to the Velveteen Rabbit, but yeah, yeah. Um, we're going on a tangent, but I think it's okay yeah. because there are so many uh, artists who are also parents, that, and I think we never get a chance to talk about this with each other. But sure. um, So in the last episode that I did, which was a solo episode, I spoke just very briefly about how I need to make my art accommodate my life mm. rather than my life accommodate my art now. Mm. It's just my life is not as flexible and my art needs to be. And so finding new ways to approach the work that I do mm. feels like it's been constrictive, but it's actually been a growth experience for me. Mm. It's just not the way that I, it's not the easiest way to grow. And I feel like as my kids get older and they enter new developmental stages, I, I am forced to grow and mm -hmm. I'm forced to question how I interact with them and the world, mm -hmm. what kind of model I am. And that growth can be kind of painful, uh, but it actually has helped. It's just not always the way that I want to grow. So maybe this idea of being mm -hmm. the dragon in the cage mm -hmm. is not the most helpful no. and maybe not the most accurate because there there actually is a lot of space. It's just growing pains. I, I don't know if this strikes you as true or not, but um, my experience of being a dad, as far as you know, my my availability to be sort of open um, to other people and to care and like my own view of myself as as. Um, Having a heart that can engage um, both others and in artistic pursuits, that my heart's bigger. Yeah. It's like I care more mm -hmm. about other people, and so like being a dad has actually made it so that so that I give more of a damn. 
the stakes have gone up. In way, way, way up. And plus, I also now understand, oh, yeah, I would kill someone. Like, if they, if they really, if they threatened her, I'd kill them, and then I'd play hopscotch. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and I used to not understand that. But, like, I get it. Right. And so, like, there are all these parts of human experience now that I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I've got it. Got it. Right. And so, and so that goes back and it reinforms my art, whether I'm, whether I'm like telling children's stories or whether I'm playing a guy who like wants to lock somebody in, in a closet and stab them. Right. You know, it's like it informs everything. And so what was coming to me as you were talking was uh, earlier was what's that? This really limiting uh, haiku. It's it's like the 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 structure around haiku. Mm -hmm. it, it, it feels like a trap. But you can create enormous beauty mm -hmm. as a result of the imposed structure. Yeah, and people can get, get to this in all sorts of different ways, things yeah. that happen in their lives. You don't have to have a kid to bump up against mm -hmm. these really deep questions mm -hmm. that challenge mm -hmm. us in all these ways. It's just mm -hmm. for me, and I think for you too, mm -hmm. my way into this was becoming a parent. Like, I don't know yeah. if I ever would have gotten there otherwise. Yeah. Um, I know some people who are more evolved than I am get there sooner. Uh, but mm. I want to get us back on track because yes. we went like way off to the side yes. and I love it. But I want to talk about <laughs> your super important Kickstarter campaign right. oh, yeah. for the Velveteen Rabbit raising Project. Mm -hmm. Yes, raising money, important. What was it like to prepare and launch that campaign? How's it going? Mm -hmm. How do we mm -hmm. find out about mm -hmm. it? Well. Um, I was really excited the other day to discover that you can Google Velveteen Rabbit and Kickstarter, and my campaign is like, boom! It's like first hit. I'm like, oh yes! <laughs> I made Google. <laughs> <laughs> I made first page Google. <laughs> SEO. Um, so it was it was it was a really long process because I wanted to only launch once I felt like I was ready, and even then, like once you launch, you quickly discover, oh no, I'm not, I'm not ready. Um, but the making of the video was there were all these iterations of it um, and ultimately the filming of it happened before I was ready to film it and we just kind of like made it up on the fly and thank goodness for Nick Carner the guy who um, shot it and edited it and, um, and then writing the text for it was there were all these iterations where I would send it out to friends and say hey what do you think I think you were one of those people and some people would say, you, you know, this little bit, it, it's offensive to me. Hmm. And I think that it might be offensive to other people of my generation. Hmm. Um, specifically, I talk about, uh, you know, a, a couple of reasons to uh, redo classic children's stories. And one is because their language is dense and kids are bored. But another reason is that they, they have all of these built-in um, bigotries and um, things that were the cultural norm when they were written. So they were just written within the cultural norm. But now you look at them, you're like, oh, well, this is telling my daughter that she has to wait until she's married in order to have a life. Mm -hmm. And oh, this is saying that people of from such and such country are ridiculous clowns. Mm -hmm. huh. And so, and the stories are, they're, uh, some of them are really strong as stories. So how to say these things to people who may have lived through those times and honor them as people and their history while saying, and now do we say that this is who we are and is this the kind of world that we want to pass along to our kids? That's a delicate 
line to walk. It is. Mm -hmm. And I'm really glad that I had some people say, hey, you're walking, you're walking this line in a way that is um, beating me and probably my friends over the head with something that will make me not want to give to your campaign. Mm. I'm like, okay, well, money talks. All right, well, all right, so how do I make you want to give me money? <laughs> also, I'm a nice person. <laughs> also, also, I care about you. <laughs> but it really made me think about how do I treat other people like people who have walked through times that they also didn't create, but who have but they've been shaped by those times. Mm -hmm. And so um, doing the Kickstarter campaign, whether or not it's successful, it has, it has made it so that I've had conversations with people both about the Velveteen Rabbit and about classic children's literature and about who they are and about what I'm doing um, in ways that I think will make the Velveteen Rabbit as a story that the adaptation as strong as I know how to make it. Mm -hmm. So the campaign itself has it's been a growth experience. Um, it's going well, I think. We've got, we're about halfway through and we've raised about a third of the money needed. And we, we were also talking about this earlier. I'm, I'm really aware that friends are important. Mm -hmm. And so- Network. Network. And um, so reaching out to people who I actually know and just talking to them Conversations, conversations. When does the campaign end? Um, October 9th. October 9th. It's okay. October 9th. We're trying to raise $4,000. We have a 13-something raised. Okay. Um, we have 20-something donors. So the people who give have been giving, they've been giving well over double what the Kickstarter norm is. Hmm. So like the people who give are like huge fans. They're into it. They are really into it. Um, it's just finding the people who are really into it. I'm like, well, how do you do this? So, um, so I've been reading up a lot and trying to do all the things that they recommend doing. We were in the news and um, what else? What You've gotten some good press on this and I know you I wrote, I know you wrote press releases did, yeah. in advance of the Kickstarter campaign, yeah. which I thought was super brilliant mm -hmm. as another way to get the word out and expand sure. your audience. Sure. But the thing, the thing that people need to know is if oh. they give you money for this, they will get a thing. So they will. full disclosure, yeah. I contributed to the mm. campaign, which I think of not only as supporting you and um, children's literature and literacy, mm. but I also think of it as buying a book. So mm. I give you money, you give me a, a book, book mm -hmm. which I can then share with my two children and also circulate. We, the kids um, exchange books in the neighborhood and at school. And so it's a way of actually exposing more children to a story, so mm. I'm gonna get a thing. And yeah. I think even at a lower giving level, people have access to the, to the electronic book, is they that do. right? Yeah, they, um, you can get the, the e-book, which you can read on a Kindle or any other e-reader um, on, your, on your computer. Um, and, uh, and there are other things that you can get too, depending on your giving level. You, uh, the illustrator has agreed to um, do sketches of you or people that you know. Oh. Um, you can also purchase a, uh, a, a an original um, sort of a, a sketch of one of the, um, an original sketch of one of the illustrations from the book. Um, and at a really high giving level, um, I'll dedicate the book to you, if you <laughs> for $4,000. <000. laughs> uh, but, but for slightly- I read it to you every night. <laughs> for, sli for slightly less than that, I will travel to you and read any book that you want for four hours. Nice. 
Um, so so it's, it was fun to come up with like, what are like sort of the, the dream giving levels and sort of like just a frivolous fun thing to, um, to bring more joy to the campaign. I think cultivating joy, it's like, how can we do that more? I want to, we're coming yeah. close to the end of our time, but yeah. I really want to talk about the illustrations because yeah. I think they're so evocative. The mm. ones that I have seen, mm -hmm. I mean, they're just magical. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. talk a little bit about your illustrator, why you mm. chose her illustrations and kind of what you wanted those to convey as a companion piece to the text. So uh, I just looked around online mm -hmm. a lot, just trying to find, you know, who's, who's making who's making illustrations for stories, Who, who's doing that. And Jules Sosa uh, has um, a history of doing a lot of book covers. And uh, when I saw her stuff, she, she does a lot of like fairies. Mm -hmm. and, and actually her work is, it's a bit dark. Her, her, her work is dark. And the way that she uses light um, infuses her illustrations with with a sense of some she draws things that i think people usually only have a sense of like sort of like some form of unseen world is present but she somehow conveys that through something that is visually present mm -hmm. i think she's really good at capturing character mm -hmm. like hopes people who are uh, so so far uh hopefulness she's good at um sadness she's good at and um, joy and intimacy she's good at. And um, so I'm looking forward to seeing what, she's, what she does with the, the rest of the illustrations. She's done four so far. And um, I'm really enjoying the interplay with her, too. It, it's, a, it's a real uh, conversation to yeah. have with an illustrator. I, I enjoy, I've enjoyed the conversations that we've had. Like well, so how how does this rabbit progress through the book? He starts in one way, ends in another, and uh, how is that how is that portrayed? And I think that uh, I I've loved what she's come up with so far. Yeah, I, I love them too. I think there's sort of a dream layer to her work that is really evocative, especially for kids, and it hooks us into our inner child. Mm. Um, which I think is really important for grown-ups. Yeah. So, and the rabbit, I think, starts out the story feeling like, oh, I'm in a new world. And she does a great job of, of <laughs> there's this one where she, she, it's like a bird's eye view of, of this little bunny, a toy bunny alone in this giant room. And how often have we all felt like that? Mm. And so it's like, okay, new space, don't know where I am. And it's just the beginning, it's sort of the beginning. And, and I love that she's created that feeling to go along with the words that are there. I think they match well. We forgot, we haven't read your text. Oh, oh yeah, I can, can read, read some? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah read some, help us. Okay, We're here gonna we go. close it out with, you read your text, <laughs> yep. then I'll close this out. Sweet, all right, so, so this, this is, is. Set up the stage for, for folks. So this is, um, from, this is from towards the end of the book. Uh, Velveteen Rabbit has been through uh, a real rough time up to this point. And the boy has been sick. The boy who loves him has been sick. And um, he's been sick in a way that the doctors have mandated, okay, get rid of all the bedclothes, all the toys. And so the Velveteen Rabbit has been scooped up, stuck in a trash bag, and put outside. And they're going to um, 
burn up all the trash tomorrow. And so it's a real horrible moment. And he has, he has at this point had all of his Velveteen loved off and he looks bad too. So he looks rough, he's feeling rough. And here's where the story, here's where the text picks up. And a tear, a real tear, trickled down his little velvet nose and fell to the ground. Then a strange thing happened. You're not going to believe what happened. You want to know what happened? Okay. Deep breath. Here it goes. Where the tear hit the ground, a flower burst out of the earth. It was mysterious and it glowed and it was unlike any other flower in the backyard that night. As the flower grew towards the rabbit, he heard faraway music and the green leaves sparkled light on everything around them. At the center of the leaves was a bright golden cup that opened its petals in front of the rabbit's head, releasing boisterous blues music into the quiet night. And out of the flower stepped a fairy. She was soulful, this fairy. In fact, the blues pumping out of her flower was her own personal riff on the universe. She was smart, she was loving, and she always spoke her truth. When she spoke, she sang, and she sang the blues. Little rabbit, she sang. Little rabbit, little rabbit, then staccato. Do you know who I am? Hiding his face with a trash bag, the rabbit screeched. No, I don't. Why are you singing your talking? Then more softly, I might be a little bit scared of you. Oh, sorry about that. Take ten, boys, she commanded, and the music stopped. Honey, she said, leaning in gently, you seem to be in a pickle. The rabbit was very confused by this talk. I am not honey, he said, and I am not in a pickle. I am a rabbit, and I am in a trash bag. They may burn me up tomorrow. Oh my, that sounds awful. I agree, said the bunny. Then he thought for a moment. Who are you, little one? I'm the fairy of toy magic. I take care of all the old toys that children have loved on. When they're old and worn out, the kids don't need them anymore. If the parents toss them out, I drop in, I pick them up, and I take them away with me and turn them into real. Real? Wasn't I real before? Asked the little rabbit. You were real to the boy, the fairy said, because he loved you. Now you'll be real to everybody. And she held the little rabbit close and flew with him into the woods, leaving in their wake a sparkling blue trail that sounded faintly like guitars and harmonicas. I am dying over here. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. What is the giving level where you can come and read to me every night? I love this. It makes me want to cry and laugh at the same time. For you, for you 20 bucks. Oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> awesome. So I will include all of the links in the show notes about how people can get get themselves to the Kickstarter campaign Woo! and also other things, other goodies in there. Um, but I want to thank you so much, John. Thank you for letting me Jimerson. talk. I oh, love talking to you. I love talking to you. I love that you are sharing stories with kids. I can't wait to see this book. So thank you a million. Mm -hmm. um, special thanks also to the Shadowbox Studio in Durham, North Carolina, where we are recording today in a special sound booth. Check out their website, shadowboxstudio.org. For information about today's episode and more, go to the Artist Soapbox website, which is artistsoapbox.org. 
and we're out.